To be a woman whose influence and actions changed the course of history, that's an incredible feat. Until you realize some of them did so by taking someone's life. Female assassins are rarely talked about, but there are so many stories of fearsome women who completed deadly missions, whether for personal revenge, political gain, or to simply create chaos. This is a history lesson like you've never heard. And when I reveal number one, a woman who's been called the most evil and dangerous woman in West Germany, you'll be shocked at where she is now. all you weirdos, welcome to Crime Countdown, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Ash. And I'm Elena. Every week we'll highlight 10 fascinating stories of history's most engaging and unsettling crimes, all picked by the Parcast research gods. This episode, we're counting down the top 10 fearsome women assassins. So I was trying really hard to think of fearsome women who I absolutely love, and the first one to come to mind is Buffy. You know the vampires. <laughs> Parcast, you never said they had to be real. You didn't. You did not say that. And you know what? Who says she isn't real? She's very real to me. Sarah Michelle Geller says so. SMG knows. I mean, come on. She kills vampires. She saved the world on multiple occasions. And she does it with like a killer soundtrack in the background. It's okay. a great soundtrack. Everybody should get it. Uh, it is. <laughs> but all right. I would say that my personal favorite who does exist is Ma. Oh, my grandmother, your yes. mother. Uh, she has done so much crazy stuff in her life, including raising five children, which is I'm one of them. <laughs> yeah, just you. That is a really feat it. in and of itself. She also sold her artwork across the nation during mm-hmm. a time where like most people wouldn't buy art from women. Yep. And she also literally fought off a burglar in our basement. That's so, like, true. She did. I'd say she's pretty fearsome. You know what? That is 100% my fearsome woman as well. You're welcome. (laughs) Thank you for that. She's honestly the only female, like fearsome female woman that I really know a whole lot about. Yeah, I hadn't actually heard about most of the people on my side of the list, but let me tell you, when we get to number one, all of you listening better be holding on to your butt. I'm excited to hear about it. Elena has five fearsome women assassins, and so do I, but neither of us knows who the other's gonna have. Let's start the countdown. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like, what the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. Search To Die For in your podcast app to follow the show. I'll start us off with number 10, Valerie Solanus. Valerie Solanus was a radical feminist and author who was shocking even for the tumultuous 1960s. Her most notable work was The Scum Manifesto, a self-published book from 1967, in which Solanus argues that men have ruined the world and that women must fix it. I mean, was she wrong? No. (laughs) But she took an even darker turn in life when in 1968, she shot artist Andy Warhol. 19 years later, he died as a result. 
Valerie Solanus was very smart and very passionate at a young age, and especially throughout her college years. Weren't we all? <laughs> so passionate, so young. She also had a lot of frustration with the glass ceiling, and before dropping out of college, she used writing for the school paper as an outlet for that frustration, writing humorous pieces on sexism. After leaving school, Valerie eventually found herself in New York City in the mid-60s. Can we please imagine New York City in the mid-60s? I feel like it must have been absolutely amazing. You, especially of all people. I would like, die. You would have loved it. In 1965, Valerie wanted her voice heard and was trying to get someone to produce her play, including artist Andy Warhol. The play was titled Up Your Ass. Yes. That title should tell you how bold she was with her work. It's an amazing title. I kind of love that. Warhol thought the play was too vulgar. But, I could see that. But that didn't stop Valerie from attempting to work with him. Her signature work was the Scum Manifesto, which she hoped Warhol would help promote. He did not. Yeah, he was not feeling her <laughs> Spoiler vibe. alert. Warhol also misplaced the manuscript of her play, but Valerie instead came to believe that he was stealing her work. Uh-oh. She started calling Warhol's office repeatedly with threats and demands until he just stopped taking her calls. On June 3rd, 1968, Valerie waited for Warhol outside his studio. Somehow she ended up riding the elevator up with him. Interesting. Once in the studio, she pulled out a 32 Beretta and shot Warhol, who was rushed to the hospital with a ruptured stomach, liver, spleen, and lungs. Oh my gosh. Like bullet, you don't think about how much damage happens when someone's shot until no. you hear that. Seriously. Like what? Warhol was briefly declared dead at one point, but doctors revived him. I never knew this. You did? It's crazy. No. In her confession, Valerie said Warhol, quote, had too much control over my life. You don't say. Yeah. She was institutionalized after being diagnosed as paranoid schizophrenic and sentenced to two years in prison. Warhol had to wear a surgical corset for the rest of his life to hold his organs in place. What? And was terrified of hospitals after the shooting. I never knew that. Crazy. That is bananas. On February 21st, 1987, he died of cardiac arrest after gallbladder surgery that he had delayed for years because of his fear of hospitals. The physical and psychological damage from being shot was what ended his life. A little over a year later, Valerie Solanus was found dead from pneumonia in her San Francisco hotel room on April 25th, 1988. That's just so tragic all around. Because, it is. like, I mean, it goes without saying, nobody won in that situation. Nobody. Nine. At number nine is Squeaky Fromm. Lynette Alice Squeaky Fromm was a member of the Manson cult, though she was not involved in the Tate LaBianca murders. What lands her on this list, though, is she once tried to take out a sitting American president. Oh, just that. Just that. Just that little thing. Squeaky met Charles Manson in Venice Beach when she was just 18 years old and she was homeless. She quickly became one of his absolutely most devoted followers. Between Manson's charm and manipulation, and Squeaky's living situation and age, it seems like it was clearly a very impressionable moment. Squeaky was so devoted to him that even after Manson went to prison for the Tate LaBianca murders, she moved to San Francisco to be near his prison. That's commitment. That is the biggest commitment. Prosecutor Vincent Bugliosi told the New York Post, quote, She was the main gal in the family. Once Manson left the ranch, if he was anywhere else, she was in charge. So, like, she was kind of just like him. That's scary. She was, like, his female counterpart. I also love that he was like, she was the main gal in the family. The main gal. Like, hey. I know, it literally <laughs> said G-A-L, gal. The gal. Well, then, on September 5th, 1975, Squeaky took her notoriety up a notch. As President Gerald Ford was walking near Capitol Park in Sacramento, 27-year-old Squeaky, dressed in a red robe, pulled out a 45 caliber handgun and pointed it at him. But before she was able to fire off a shot, Secret Service agents tackled her and wrestled her to the ground. And right then, Squeaky was the first woman to ever attempt to assassinate a president of the United States. Quite a distinction. I don't know if I'd personally want that yeah. distinction. I'm going to go ahead and said like, probably not. Not one of those that I'm looking for. Yeah, I'm good. 
In court, Squeaky carried with her the same red robe that she wore the day she tried to assassinate the president. That's like a literal Manson-inspired move. Yeah, that, I had no idea. I knew she was like super devoted, like probably one of his most devoted or the most devoted. I would say the most. But I didn't know that all these little things she was doing that so paralleled him. Yeah, I it was almost like she was trying to emulate him. Yeah. Well, she also brought an apple for the judge, which she ended up throwing at the U.S. attorney when he recommended severe punishment because she was full of, quote, hate and violence. I love that he's like, you are full of hate and violence. And she's like, no, I'm not. And then throws an apple at him. Yeah, you know, that's not really showing your point there, Squeaks. It's not. Well, Squeaky was convicted of attempted murder and was sentenced to life in prison in West Virginia. In December 1987, she escaped from prison after she heard that Charles Manson, who was still in prison, had cancer. After 40 hours roaming around West Virginia, she was caught on Christmas Day about two miles from the prison. Please, just for one moment, imagine walking down the street and running into Squeaky From. No. Please. Just... My brain literally, <laughs> like, there's so much boundaries that won't let me go there. It just is a wild thing to My brain just said, red alert. No <laughs> thanks. So scary. Squeaky was released from prison on parole in 2009 when she was 60 years old. And as of this recording, she lives a quiet life in upstate New York. So you too can run into Squeaky if you are careful, I suppose. <laughs> or if you're not careful, I would say. <laughs> Number eight on our countdown of fearsome women assassins is Maria Jimenez. Maria is known as La Tosca, which translates to the tough one, which doesn't even do justice to what this woman was in charge of doing. She led a group whose job it was to carry out hits for Los Zetas, Mexico's most violent and second biggest drug cartel. The Zetas cartel is considered the main rival to the Sinaloa cartel. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> if you listen to our Busted by Social Media episode, you'll be familiar with Jose Rodrigo Arichiga Gamboa. His job was to do the dirty work for the Sinaloa cartel, which basically meant murder. Maria is the equivalent to him in terms of job duties and being someone you do not want to mess with. Don't even make eye contact if you see them. That's yeah, no, I'm basically good. that's what we're talking I about. I never made eye contact with like the tough ones in high school. Yeah, I'm not making eye contact with like my elderly neighbor. I'm definitely <laughs> not making contact with them. That's You're for iconic. sure. <laughs> the Zetas cartel controlled the drug trade in much of the north and east of Mexico. That's a lot of trade. That is a lot of trade. <laughs> a lot of trade. Many members have police or military backgrounds, including some soldiers who have special forces training. So, like, they must pay well, I suppose? Yeah, I would think so. That's scary. That's terrifying. Maria was paid 10,000 pesos every two weeks, or about $1,500 per month for her hits. According to ABC, Maria's hit squad carried out at least 20 murders. I would need a lot more than $1,500 a month for 20 murders. I'd be <laughs> I like, so. my quota has been reached and you need to pay me OT. Yeah, like I haven't sat down and calculated what it would take for me to commit 20 murders in a month, but I feel like it would be more than that. I would think. I don't know, though. I haven't done the math. I don't think I will either. So. <laughs> no, I will not. We'll never know. Claims by a Mexican newspaper say that Maria was directly involved in the murder of a police detective. She allegedly used an ATV to cut off the detective's vehicle, and then a barrage of bullets rained down on his truck. Oh my. Yeah. That literally sounds like an action movie. That's so scary. It basically scary. is, with no camera. A number of female assassins have actually been apprehended in Mexico, though I'm not sure that's a glass ceiling that was waiting to be broken. <laughs> I don't think they say. were. Officials broke up a Zetas training camp in June 2011 and were surprised to find that half of the trainees there were females. Although that's surprising, it's also like unassuming. That's exactly what I was thinking. Right. Because at first I was like, what? And then you're like, wait a second. It kind of makes sense. It makes sense. Like they're, ba they're assassins essentially. Right. And it's like, you're not, this whole world doesn't think of women as potential assassins except so it's, and maybe now they do at the end of this they will here we are doing our service to change that yeah you know i don't <laughs> yeah. even know when i was enlisted to do that but here i am but here we are and we're doing it 
but yeah, it makes sense. That's actually a smart question mark move. A diabolically smart move. Cunning. There you go. Yeah. Maria Jimenez and her accomplices were finally arrested May 1st, 2012 in Monterey, Mexico. It's so crazy that that was like pretty recent, but like you never heard anything about it. Just came and went. Right? Like what? Seven. At number seven this week is Erica Chambers. Chambers was a spy hired to assassinate the leader of Black September, Ali Hassan Salome. Black September was the group responsible for the 1972 Munich Olympics attack that left 11 Israeli athletes dead. And Salome was the architect of that attack. Chambers' job was essentially to get revenge. If you somehow don't know the story, during the 1972 Summer Olympics in Munich, Germany, the Palestinian terrorist group called Black September went to the Olympic Village apartments of the Israeli athletes, killing two and taking nine others hostage. By the time the hostage situation ended, all 11 athletes had been killed. It was an international news event that shook the Olympics and really the world. That's crazy when you actually look into it. I can't believe that actually happened. I know, seriously. Mossad, which is the National Intelligence Agency of Israel, planned a response, of course. They weren't just going to let this go. It was coined Operation Wrath of God. Best name ever. Horrifying. The band name, I call it. Yeah. Now, it was a covert operation intended to assassinate the Black September individuals involved in the Munich massacre. Mossad assassinated many of the figures behind the attack, but Ali Hassan Salome was a tougher target. So they brought in an assassin. Yes, they did. Heck yeah. In January of 1979, the Mossad recruited a British spy named Erica Chambers, codename Agent Penelope. Yes. I'm like, are you a Kardashians fan? Where did that come from? (laughs) Probably not because it was like pre that, but you never know. As the Times of Israel reported, the Mossad, quote, saw her Christian-sounding name as an asset as it allowed her to travel using her own documents rather than a forged identity, and could enable her to flee to the British embassy to ask for asylum in a worst-case scenario. White privilege spy kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, you know. You know, whatever wow, I, didn't, I didn't even think of it that way, that, she, that her name could allow her to do all that stuff. I didn't but either. It's, it's a good thing to point out. When her handlers asked Chambers how she felt about the assassination, quote, she said she didn't know because she'd never killed anyone. She'd tell him afterwards, but for now, she was prepared to do it. Oh, i never done it before, but I'll let you know after. It's like, I've never been to that supermarket before, but I'll let you know how their prices are. Yeah, I'll let you know how the produce is there. It's like, oh, okay. Whoa. A woman identified only as Anna, who spoke to the Times of Israel on behalf of Chambers, said, quote, she understood well what it meant to be cut off from her family, friends, and identity totally, not enter England anymore. And she agreed. She thought it was worth it. Like, imagine just giving up your life, your family, and your identity just to assassinate someone. Yeah, that's not not worth it. Yeah, like I really like my family. <laughs> like it's just it's just not. No, I but then when you're in that position, what are you going to say like, "Nah, I don't know." Can't I'm I'm sorry, I'm booked that day. I don't want to be in that position. Yeah, cuz like you might get in trouble if you say no. Yeah, that's true. Well, the way it went down was in January 1979, the car that Salome would be a passenger in was rigged with explosives. Chambers rented an apartment with a view of the parking spot that his car would end up in. She stayed in the apartment for many months while the assassination was planned. Once the car was in the spot, Chambers triggered the bomb, killing Salome and several other people. When she returned to Israel, Chambers received a hero's welcome as well as the medal for distinguished service. Wow, I did not see that ending that way. I didn't see it like that (laughs) either. That's wild. Six. Also on our list at number six is Fania Kaplan, a.k.a. Fanny Kaplan. On August 30th, 1918, 28-year-old Fanny was in the crowd of a rally at a factory in Moscow where the main speaker, Vladimir Lenin, had just finished addressing the masses. Fanny pulled out a gun, got Lenin's attention, and fired three shots, hitting him twice. Like Andy Warhol, Lenin's wounds didn't kill him immediately, but they contributed to his death later in life. 
and Fanny's turn as an assassin changed history. Or was Fanny even the one who pulled the trigger? Oh, you set me up for that. You literally just threw me for a loop. I did. That's what I'm doing. Loops everywhere. And also how crazy that this is the second person on the list who didn't die of gunshot wounds. Yeah, that's weird. Wild. Because how often does that? Maybe it happens more often than we hear about. You never know. But it's still strange. There's a lot historically that we don't have time to unpack here, but basically Vladimir Lenin rose to power in Russia by leading the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917. He then became the first leader of the newly formed Union of Soviet Socialist Republics, or USSR. Yeah, I think I've heard of it. The the USSR, you've heard of that? I think so. Yeah, in passing, that's all. (laughs) And within all of this is deep lessons in socialism, communism, and what became known as Leninism. But that's for you to read about in books, (laughs) because it's a lot. But when you have someone like Lenin leading a revolution, you know there's always opposition. And Fanny Kaplan was a part of that group, the Socialist Revolutionary Party. And sadly, violence becomes the go-to in political revolutions, especially during this era. Yeah, this era was like chalked up full of that. They were, as Ash would say, wildin'. So that August day in 1918, Fanny showed up to the factory in Moscow and literally took her shot. As Hamilton says, I'm not throwing away my shot. And she was not, except one of them she did. She took three of them, with two bullets hitting Lenin. According to the New York Times, one bullet lodged in his collarbone after puncturing his lung. Another got caught in the base of his neck. Both bullets remained in place for the rest of his life. That is crazy. The base of his neck. And those ones are always crazy because when they're just there forever, if it migrates at all, it can kill you in a second. Absolutely. Your brain is literally right there. It's just right there. Like neighbors. Actually Neighbors neighbors over the fence. That's what it is. The twist in the story that makes most people have doubt in who pulled the trigger, despite confessing, Fanny Kaplan was near blind didn't have experience with guns, and it was getting dark when the shooting happened. But she was also close to him, so it's one of those things that you can see both sides That's that. kind of crazy, though. She was near blind. Like, I'll tell you right now, I take my contacts out. I'm not trying to, like, hit a dartboard. No. And so it, it could just be pure luck and circumstance yeah. and just look it happened or it can be something else i know that is crazy well i mean she did shoot three shots she did she took her three shots lennon survived which made him even more popular but his injuries caused him a lot of issues for the rest of his life he ended up dying in january 1924 from a massive stroke the bullets still in his body being listed as a contributing factor like andy like we were talking about While Lenin's health slowly failed over the years, Joseph Stalin was able to become more powerful and took over after he died. And that opened up an entire new chapter of history that may not have happened had Fanny Kaplan not done what she had done. Which is crazy. That's bananas. The fact that we have like a blind, like a near blind assassin who had never used a gun and did it at night and somehow shot Lennon twice. And the fact that she's not number one on the list, like where I always say it, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I also love that it's like a history lesson right now. It really is. There's, is- <laughs> there's so many things on here that I'm like, wow. And this is like fun, dare I say. It's a fun. It's just so mark. interesting. Yeah, it is. Hi there, it's Carter from ParCast. If you haven't had a chance to check out the riveting true crime series Solved Murders, there's no better time to tune in. Throughout the month of August, Solved Murders is featuring four celebrations that took a turn for the deadly in a special series we're calling Party Fouls. From a murder in the New York nightclub scene and a house party gone horribly wrong, to a terrifying evening at the Tate residence and a sex party with sinister results. Go deeper inside for affairs remembered for all the wrong reasons. And if you like what you hear with Party Fowls and want to uncover more of history's most captivating cases, be sure to follow Solved Murders on Spotify. There you'll find a new episode released every Wednesday. Solved Murders is a Spotify original from ParCast. 
Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Five. All right, let's jump back in with number five on our countdown of fearsome women assassins. Starting off the second half of our list, Shi Zhan Chiao. In the early 1900s, Shi's father was a high-ranking military man, which gave the family some major status, but also put a target on his back. In 1925, when she was just 20 years old, her father was killed by a brutal warlord named Sun Chuan Feng, who then displayed Xi's father's head on a spike after killing him. Oh. Needless to say, she was not happy with this and decided to get revenge for her father's death. Yeah. To which I say, let's get it, girl. Let's go. Go, she go. Let's go, girls. I'm ready. So six years after killing Shi's father in 1931, Sun decided to hang up his killing ways and retire from his military career. It's like, oh, are you just going to go to Florida and like hang out for the summer? <laughs> Become a snowbird? Like, okay. He sought refuge in a major port city in northeastern China with his newfound Buddhist faith as a lay clergy. It's like, why do all murderers retire to find peace with religion? <laughs> always. They always find it afterwards. Like, it is far too late for that. Yeah, it's like, that's nice. And that's what she thought, you can't, too. You can't break a dish and then be like, oh, I want to put it back together now. You can't. You it's can't. broken. But you might be able to glue it, but Not try. the same way. Not the same. It'll never be the same after what you've done. Well, she followed Sun to his new peaceful retirement hideaway, and she kept watch on all his movements. Like, she's hunting her prey right now. She. Get it. On November 13th, 1935, Sun arrived at the prayer hall to lead a recitation. She followed him into the hall and shot him three times with a pistol, killing him. Whoa. As the prayer hall erupted into chaos, she yelled, I have avenged the murder of my father. Do not fear. I will not hurt anyone else, nor will I run away. I'm obsessed with this. The fact that she said, nor will I run away. She was like, I'm here. I did this, but don't worry. It's all good. She just said, I have avenged the murder of my father. Iconic. Whoa. Like, I can't even. No, I can't. Acting as her own PR manager, by the way, she also passed out pamphlets explaining her actions, and then she surrendered. That is so, like, on point. Like, that is so just type A personality. Here's a pamphlet explaining why I did why I did. Like, I love it so awesome. much. And her She's father. She's so organized. Her father must have been so proud of her, like, wherever he was. Oh, yeah. Explain it all. I, I just love it. But punishing Xi for a premeditated murder did become tricky, and she was tried three times for his murder. Wow. Xi's defense team relied on a principle of judicial mercy for avenging a wrongful killing. So it's like justifiable revenge. All right. In the first trial, she was found guilty, and the judges rejected the claim of mitigating circumstances. She was sentenced to, quote, not less than 10 years in prison, to which I say, that's not fair. <laughs> the second trial judge decided the proper sentence for a homicide out of righteous anger Whoa. to be no more than seven years and reduce she's sentence. That's also a great band name. Yeah. Homicide out of righteous anger. <laughs> you can call that one. <laughs> the case finally went to the Supreme Court. The court agreed with the previous ruling and the reduced sentence of seven years. The judges ruled that she's father had been wrongfully killed and therefore her revenge was partly justified. Which, like, I would have I would have said the same thing. Put me on the Supreme Court. That's really wild that they did that, though. It really is. It's like it was like they got it in the they, moment. They did. They got it. She was like, "You really get me." Yeah. <laughs> the public overwhelmingly sided with she and put pressure on the courts for a full acquittal. Two months after the Supreme Court ruling, the government issued an edict saying she's quote murderous behavior constitutes a violation of criminal law. But if we consider that she was a lone woman acting upon filial thinking and with little regard for her own personal safety, then her intent merits commiseration and the extraordinary circumstances of the crime are forgivable. She was pardoned and she later passed away in 1979. 
Wow, I love she. I love she more than I love anything. Wow. Four. Landing at number four this week is Charlotte Corday. Things got pretty violent and deadly during the French Revolution, as many people had stark differences about how they thought the political landscape in France should look and who should be in charge. Charlotte Corday landed herself in history books by killing one of the most influential men during this time, a murder that earned her the nickname The Angel of Assassination. What a nickname. Love it. A little history lesson. The French Revolution went on for a decade, from 1789 to 1799. French citizens uprooted centuries-old institutions, such as absolute monarchy and the feudal system, and were fighting for a more constitutional democracy. There were such social and economic inequalities at this point, partly due to population growth, that the old way just wasn't working for the people anymore. A journalist named Jean-Paul Marat had a leading role during the revolution with his ability to exert power and influence through his newspaper. Charlotte Corday was the daughter of an impoverished aristocrat and a royalist sympathizer. She looked at Marat as the unholy enemy of France and decided to plot his assassination, which like seems like a lot, but I guess go off, Charlotte? Go off, Charlotte? Like, whoa, he just became the unholy enemy of France? That's a lot. She's like, I said what I said. I said it. I, I Did I stutter? <laughs> like, come on. Corday probably could have also just spoken out against him and started her own movement, but it was the revolution and violence was the answer at this point, I guess. It's like kill or be killed, I suppose. On July 13th, 1793, Corday was able to con her way into a meeting with Marat, who was working in his bathtub. <laughs> Stop it. You heard that correctly. She conned her way into a meeting with Marat, who was working in his bathtub. He apparently had a skin condition and worked in the bathtub quite often. Is it is it time for secrets revealed? But because I often work in the bathtub. I love that. I think it's great. So Corday gets in there, pulls out a knife, and stabs Murat in the chest. Which is strange that security for the revolution's most influential man didn't really include, like, just something as simple as a pat-down. You know, just a little pat-pat-pat. It was a different time. Do, do you have a knife in that giant skirt? <laughs> do you have a weapon? <laughs> no. Murat died almost immediately, and Corday waited, calmly, for the police to come and arrest her. Just like she. Oh, yeah. She just did it, and she was like, yeah, I did it. I did it. I Here said I what I said again. I said what I said. I did what I did. Here I am. Come get, get me. me. <laughs> During her trial, an unrepentant Corday stated she had acted to stop Marat from further fueling the reign of terror, saying, quote, I have killed one man to save a 100,000 before being sent to the guillotine just four days after the assassination. Well, that stinks. That's no, no good. But at least she died a hero somewhat. Kind of. In her own eyes, at I least. was going to say, in her own mind, I suppose. Murat's assassination has been portrayed in centuries-old paintings, which are all catalysts to the back and forth of who should be more celebrated, Murat or Corday. Either way, the assassination is proof of how heated and deadly the revolution was. Do you think that people like hang the pictures of his assassination in their bathroom? Whoa. Just wondering. Can you imagine? Just wondering. Also, I don't know. I don't know anything about that time period. I'm like real bad with that. So I don't have a side. I don't really either. I'm normally not on the side of like somebody who murders someone, but like, you know. She was chill about we'll it. We'll look into it. She was like, I did it and come get me. So yeah, there's that. What are you going to do? Three. Number three on our countdown of fearsome women assassins is Idoya Lopez Riaño. Riaño was born in the Basque region of northern Spain in the mid-60s and had a normal upbringing and a good education. But in her teen years, she became politicized with Basque nationalistic views, and she eventually joined a nationalist group that became very violent. In the end, she became the real-life inspiration for the hit woman Villanelle in the TV show Killing Eve, which if you've seen that, you know she's wild. Oh yeah. 
As with most violent politicized groups, it always becomes them versus the authorities, and the group Lopez Riano joined with her boyfriend Jose was no different. To help give her group the advantage, Lopez Riano would seduce members of the police force and civil guard to gain information. It earned her the nickname La Tigresa, the Tigress. Whoa. To which I say, <laughs> get it, girl. According to Scotland's newspaper, The National, quote, she allegedly once said she would be lying in bed with policemen and thinking how good it would be to shoot them. <laughs> so political motivations Whoa. aside, she's a terrifying human. Straight up from the mind of someone very scary. Like she's young and getting it with you. And then all of a sudden she's just going to off you. She's just sitting there like right next to you in bed, fantasizing about shooting you. That and is... like you thought you just had a great time. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. When Lopez Riano was just 20 years old, she committed her first political murder. That's young. It is very young. As we mentioned, authorities tend to come down hard on violent political groups. You don't say. I do. And at the time, Lopez Riano's group was battling it out against the secret Spanish state anti-terrorist groups who had been given permission by Spain's Ministry of the Interior to seek out and kill members of Lopez Riano's political group. Really just a huge mess. <laughs> I was going to say, whoa, give me the red thread to connect all of that. You need one of those for this one. On November 16th, 1984, Riano accused a French citizen of being a member of that Spanish anti-terrorist group before shooting and killing him. Oh. And in 1986, Lopez Riano took part in the assassination of an army commander and two other soldiers. Whoa. Like, what was the <laughs> end game, though, to all this bloody chaos? Like... There's never, is there ever a point to create all that mayhem? Just chaos. Yeah. I feel like they just wanted to create the mayhem. Yeah. According to the National Quote, in total, she was charged with the murders of 23 people between 1984 and 1986. Whoa. Half of them came in one of Spain's most infamous terrorist attacks, the Plaza Republica Dominica car bombing in July 1986, which killed 12 civil guards and injured 32 others. La Tigresa was charged with being involved in the attack as an intelligence gatherer. Lopez Riano tried living in exile in France, but she was arrested in 1994 and spent five years in prison before being extradited to Spain, where she was convicted of the 23 murders and sentenced to 30 years in prison. Then she did what any selfish murderer would do. She renounced violence and apologized to her victims so that she could get released from prison. Come on. Which she did in 2017. What? Like you kill that many people and they're like, all right, get out of here. Eh, you seem sorry about it's it. It's like, what? British novelist Luke Jennings then modeled Villanelle after Lopez Riano and his novellas that became the basis for the BBC America series, Killing Eve. He also listens to our podcast. Hey, <laughs> He said nice things about it. Hello, Luke. Jennings said Lopez Riano was clearly a psychopath and completely, completely without empathy. Yeah, I'd say so. I would go as far as to say that. Even just the last one, I'm like, <laughs> okay. that one was crazy. She was she, only, oh, wait, you said that. Oh, no, I was just going to say she started when she was 20. Right. That's crazy. Like, I can't even imagine. And then I, she, I just can't get over she. I was just going to say, and then, and then we have she. She's like the hero of this countdown. She really is. I also am probably going to get that picture to put in my bathroom. Yeah, the Corday bathtub murder. Yeah, put that in your bathroom. You got to. Everybody do it. So we have two left. What What's going to happen here? Let's do it. Two. We're down to the final two spots on our countdown of fearsome women assassins. At number two is Kim Hyun-wee. Kim was just 19 years old when she was recruited from her university by the North Korean intelligence agency to become a spy. But in 1987, she became a mass murderer when she detonated a bomb on a plane that killed 115 people in an attempt to derail the 1988 Summer Olympics in Seoul, South Korea. Kim was sentenced to death, but in the end, she was pardoned. This story has a complex blame game to it. Ooh. Get also, ready. lots of pardons, I feel. So many pardons. As of this recording, Kim is almost 60 years old. 
She lives what's been reported as a quiet life in South Korea and has given a few interviews about what she did. She told the BBC in 2013, quote, When I look back, it makes me feel sad. Why did I have to be born in North Korea? Look at what it did to me. So she blames North Korea. Yeah. Kim says she fears the North Korean government still wants to kill her, which is the same government that pulled her out of her university during her second year to train to be a spy. Kim trained for six years before the plane bombing. Okay, hold on. You're just, like, doing your thing in college. Just on the quad. And, like, does some guy just, like, come up to you and be like, hey, you gotta come with us, you have to train to be a spy, let's go. <laughs> let's, let's go, we gotta go. Like, what? Don't ask any questions, you're, like, you're can a spy can I get now. a frappuccino first? <laughs> like, like, whoa. Can I finish this test? And he's like, no, we gotta go. <laughs> I have a final. Like, what? <laughs> Why? Yeah, like, what? You gotta bring my grade up. I worked really you? hard on this yeah. book report. Can I, I wait? I read the book. Come on. Yeah, that's terrifying. Like, how does that go? How does that happen? And then you train for six years. Yeah, that's a long time. You well, better be a good spy at the you, end of that. Yeah, you better. Well, to give a better sense of what she was involved with, Kim was also taught to, quote, act Japanese from a young Japanese woman who had been kidnapped from her home in northern Japan. Oh, my goodness. North Korea. Yeah, <laughs> I'm scared. Don't, don't say too much. Kim was then given her assignment, according to the Washington Post, to blow up a South Korean plane to, quote, increase the sense of chaos and ultimately prevent the Olympic Games from taking place in Seoul. Oh, just that. Just just that small task. Let's just blow up a plane full of innocent people. Jeez. Like, and that'll really get everybody, woo, and they won't want to do the Olympics. That will do it. Like, that's a lot. That's, a, that's quite a plan. Here's how it happened, though. Kim and an accomplice boarded a Korean Airlines plane in Baghdad, where she placed the suitcase bomb in an overhead bin. And then both agents got off the plane during a layover in Abu Dhabi. So they were on this plane with the bomb in the suitcase right in the overhead bin for at least a little bit. Yeah. And then they just get off. That's just... What if it accidentally went That's off? That's what I'm saying. Wouldn't that be the worst plane ride of your life? I would say so, yeah. Hours later, the bomb did blow up, and all 115 on board were killed. Kim and her accomplice were tracked down. Kim's accomplice killed himself with a cyanide-laced cigarette, and Kim was taken into an underground bunker for weeks of interrogation before she finally confessed. A cyanide-laced cigarette. cigarette. Like, what a sexy way to go. That is stuff you read in a spy novel like that's yeah not, that's not real you don't you would read that somewhere and be like that's, that's fun. too much fun for the for this book but too much kim was extradited to south korea where according to the washington post she witnessed the reality of what south korea was and not what she was taught she realized her whole purpose was quote founded upon lies whoa imagine coming to that realization that how do you ever just reconcile that, that you have been trained and brainwashed for six years of your life. And then you realize it was all for lies. For not. Just all, they just fed you lies just to do their own bidding. That's, I can't even fathom that. But on the other hand, just to play devil's advocate, do you believe her? That, that's the other thing. Because she could just be saying that so that she's like, yeah, I didn't want to. And and to just like kind of clear her own conscience to pretend. And it's like, it's 115 people. I know, seriously. That's huge. But then again, like, again, playing devil's advocate, what choice did she have? Yeah. They probably would have killed her. And brainwashing is a real thing. Truly. In 1989, a South Korean court sentenced Kim to death, but the president issued her a pardon. After the pardoning, Kim wrote a book, Tears of My Soul, donating the proceeds to family members of the victims she'd killed. Oh, good for her for doing that. At least something good came out of it. Yeah. But, whoa. One. And that brings us to number one on our countdown of the top 10 fearsome woman assassins, Brigitte Monhaupt. Brigitte got involved in a far-left militant group in West Germany called the Red Army Faction in the early 70s. It'll come as no surprise, it was a violent and deadly bunch. Hmm. There's there's kind of a pattern on this countdown today. I was going to say, you don't say. Yeah. If you're wondering, how did Brigitte make it to number one? 
well. The BBC's Steve Rosenberg says Brigitte Monhaupt was once described as the most evil and dangerous woman in West Germany. So that's how she made it to number one. Quite a title. That'll do it. According to the BBC, the Red Army Faction, or RAF, sought to combat what it saw as capitalist oppression of workers and U.S. imperialism. So that's a that's a big fight to fight. But you gotta fight it. You do. <laughs> it started around 1970, not long before Brigitte joined its ranks. It sort of grew out of student anti-Vietnam War protests, so it definitely evolved, you could say. It for sure evolved. <laughs> it definitely did. And as we've seen in other places on this countdown, we've got another politically charged group turning women into killers for a greater cause. What a pattern. Truly something. Brigitte gets involved with the group and makes her way to the top of the leadership. She actually led the quote-unquote second generation of the RAF after the group's two founders committed suicide in prison. The RAF disbanded in 1998, but not before terrorizing Germany for years with kidnappings, attacks, and killings. Again, no peaceful protest with like picket signs and marches in the street here. So the attacks and the murders, let's get into that. In reality, the RAF is believed to have killed 34 people. Oh the group gosh. was known to launch attacks against U.S. military personnel stationed in Germany. Brigitte herself was involved in the 1981 attempted murder of a U.S. general and his wife in a rocket-propelled grenade attack on his car. A rocket-propelled grenade attack? Listen, I told you to hold on to your butt when this I, all started. Wow, I was not ready. A rocket-propelled grenade attack on a car. Yeah. And Brigitte gave flowers to a bank executive before shooting him dead. Stop it. Like, she was like, didn't I tell you that I was a savage? Get out of here immediately. Seriously. Now, the group's most notable deadly attacks came in 1977 in what's called the German Autumn, which, like, sounds really peaceful. <laughs> I was going to say, that sounds so nice. Don't let it fool you. Oh. Let's just say the phrase wave of terror has been used to describe it. So not peaceful at all. No, I was thinking more like, you know, like, I don't know why, but I just thought of like soft pretzels with like beer dip and like a warm cider would be a German that's, that's an interesting that's, road that's, to go down. It's not it though. Okay. I was just thinking like nice leaves. Oh. Well, Brigitte played a key role in all of this, where according to The Guardian, the RAF kidnapped and killed Germans whom they held responsible for pursuing Germany's economic success at the expense of dealing with its Nazi past. It's like you can get on board with the idea of dealing with the Nazi past, yeah. but it's probably is not the way to go about it. Maybe not. Yeah, definitely not, because they also hijacked a full-on passenger plane with the help of Palestinian militants in the process. Yeah, definitely not. It's like needless to say, the word terrorist has been used to describe Brigitte Monhaupt on many occasions. That's not shocking. Not shocking at all. So let's get to her arrest and start to feel a little bit better here. Obviously, two things are going to happen when you choose this way of life. You're going to get killed or you're going to get caught. Exactly. And in 1982, Brigitte was arrested in Frankfurt, Germany. She was convicted and sentenced to five life sentences, plus 15 years for her role in nine murders. That's a lot of years. Five life five sentences. Five life sentences. I mean, yeah. I also love when they just like tack on 15 years to five yeah. life sentences. I'm like, but I, that... That's infinity. Yeah, that's infinity, though. And beyond. Now, the BBC says her victims included a judge, a banker, and the employer's federation president. Wow. And then in 2007, after 24 years in prison... No. She was out of jail. No! Out of the slammer. What? Now, her release was controversial, to say the least. Yeah. The Guardian reported on the state court statement that said, quote, this is not a pardon, rather a decision based on specific legal considerations. The decision was reached based on the determination that no security risk exists. Excuse me, they need to explain that. Her middle name <laughs> is security risk. That's literally her given name. Like at this point, seriously. Security risk, Moinhaupt. Boom. That's her name. Now, no surprise, the victims' families were furious. Uh, yeah, me too. Because you get, like, I, we were talking about this earlier, you get closure and then it's just ripped away from you. Yeah, all of a sudden they're like, eh. It's weird how this, like, came that. back into play here. Yeah, five life sentences. Oh, eh, 24 years sounds about right. Yeah, you know. Yeah. A lot of very small, short lives. It's ridiculous. The family say Brigitte never expressed remorse for what she had done. Around 20 former RAF members have also been freed after serving lengthy sentences. I just, 
these people like committed actual terrorist attacks. Yes. Why are we letting them out of prison? Like the whole point of a terrorist attack is to instill terror and right. chaos. So they didn't like do they, these things weren't done. Like not that you can validate any of these crimes in any no, of way, course not. but they were literally intentionally done to cause terror. Which takes a certain kind of person to want to instill terror on innocence. Right, and then they say that no security risk exists. And it's because, yeah, because most of the members are in prison. So exactly. that if you let them all out again and they get back together, that might cause a security risk. And also, like we said, just take a look at her birth certificate and it says security risk Moinhopped right there. She told you. She's it. There's no way to say that justice is served when you terrorize an entire country for years. Absolutely. No way. The latest report was that she lives in southern Germany and was looking to change her identity to stay out of the public eye, which I would say is probably best for her. Best interest of her, yeah. It's like, in the end, where did all the murdering get you? Freed from prison, apparently. Seriously, like, ridiculous. What a countdown. <laughs> Brigitte? Definitely was number one. Nobody else was going to be on that spot. <laughs> that was like jaw unhinged the whole time. Brigitte was very scary. And the fact that she's just out there living in Southern Germany. I cannot. And it's it really is crazy on this list how many people either got pardoned or like let out of jail yeah. after like serving no time at all. Yeah, there's a lot. This was wild. I think the only one whose side I was on was she. Yeah, she was the only one that I was really, I was going for. Yeah, same. And I still am. Here I am. I don't know. I can't think of anything that was left off, but I'm not really like um, a jack of all trades when it comes to assassinations. Yeah, I'm not super up on my assassinations, but I think the podcast research gods knocked this one out of the park. They really I learned did. so much history with this one. Me too. I feel like I was like needing to take notes throughout this. This was fun. I'll be I'll be there for the test. Yes, I am here for the final. I needed podcast in high school. Yes. Wow. Well, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another great episode. Remember to follow Crime Countdown on Spotify to get a brand new episode delivered every week. You can find all episodes of Crime Countdown and all other podcast shows for free on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you like us, which I hope you do because you made it this far, you can follow our other podcast, Morbid, on Instagram at Morbid Podcast or on Twitter at Amorbid Podcast. And you should keep it weird until Monday. But not this weird. Never this weird. Crime Countdown is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It was created by Max Cutler. Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Anthony Valsic. Fact-checking by Cara Mackerline. Research by Chelsea Wood. It's produced by John Cohen, Kristen Acevedo, and Jonathan Ratliff. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro. We're your hosts, Ash and Alina Urquhart. Hi, listeners, it's Carter. Here's a quick reminder to check out the Solved Murders four-part special Party Fouls. Every Wednesday in August, take a closer look at four celebrations that ended in horrific fashion. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Solved Murders. Listen free only on Spotify. Spotify.